Hello, Ashley Posen here. I am so excited to get to share with you our live radio show now on podcast. I pray you enjoy and are richly blessed by our study of women of the Bible. God has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. We are dedicated to letting the truth of God's word lead us. You are listening to One Truth Ministries podcast. Here is your host, Ashley Posey. We're going to go back to the Old Testament today. And just for today only, we're going to be studying a woman um, quickly today who gives us an incredible example. In fact, her example is was so life-changing for me because she teaches us when life is going hard, when we're facing hardships or the longing of our hearts, our deep sadness, she teaches us how to handle our heart. And I want us to be contemplating that because if you can grasp this, if we allow the word of God to plant itself inside of us and to begin producing fruit, we are going to see an abundance of growth in our life. And so I want to be praying for us in that way today. We're going to study this woman who, like I told you, she gives us a great example of how to handle our heart. And I love this. I want us to to hold on to this because some of us are facing hardships. And if you're not right now, we know that we will. Christ had told us that in this world, we will have trials, but we get to take courage because he has overcome this world. And so there is now a way to handle our heart that will benefit us and not tear us down, that will encourage us and equip us instead of hold us back. And so we want to learn from her today. And I'm going to just kind of give you a brief summary of where we are. The last woman we studied was Miriam. And so as the children of Israel uh, become this nation of God, they have gone through many battles. And if you've read the book of Judges, I just want to summarize this book because it will lead us into the time of the woman we are studying But within the book of Judges, what we know takes place is Joshua, remember, he had led the children of Israel into the land of Canaan to obtain the promised land that God had um, given them. And But after Joshua passes away, the beginning of the book of Judges tells us this is what happened. Joshua and all of those living in his generation pass away. And then it says something that is the saddest thing in the Old Testament to me. Then it says an entire generation rose up who did not know God and did not know what God had done for them. Can you picture this? I think we can because honestly, we're not too far from that right now. But an entire generation rose up who did not know God and did not know what God had done for them. And because of that, they enter into what theologians call the cycle of apostasy. I like to call it the cycle of sin because maybe it's a little bit more plain or simple, but it is this cycle that they would fall into where they would live however they want. They would sin against God. They'd go into any lifestyle that was rebellious and abhorrent in the eyes of God. They would take part in it. They would uh, worship other idols. They would um, live in this way. And then, of course, life would become so hard, so bad. They would uh, get oppressed by their enemies and deal with great sickness and times of turmoil that finally they would fall onto their knees again, cry out to God for help. He would send them a judge to lead them back to himself, and they would follow while that judge was alive. And then it says, as soon as that judge passed away, 
then they would become even more vile than the ones that went before them. And so this was their cycle that they went on. And every time a new cycle turned over, every time there was a new judge and that judge passed away, that group of people, that generation of people would become even more sinful than the ones that went before them. And so you see this cycle over and over again. And in fact, this is how the book of Judges ends. Here's the last verse um, of the last chapter, chapter 21 of the book of Judges. It says, in those days... Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Now, this is a very apt description of the time that we are going to be looking at in studying this woman. There's such a huge difference between her heart and the heart of the Israelites. Now, at this time when we are studying this woman, there is a priest by the name of Eli, and he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. You know, when I was teaching my daughter this a long time ago, I had told her the names of Eli's sons. And from then on, she kept calling them Phineas and Ferb. Now, if you know that cartoon, you know where that comes from. <laughs> but this was a child's cartoon. She kept calling him Phineas and Ferb. And I had to keep telling her, no, honey, it's Hophni and Phineas. But these were Eli's sons. Now, these two uh, men were not... Um, loving God. They were not serving him in the way that he had told his priests to serve him. In fact, they would cheat um, the people many times. They would take all the fattened portions that were meant as a sacrifice for God, and they would take them and eat them themselves. Um, They would, you know, engage in um, prostitution with women that would come in. They would, they really truly considered the um, Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm. And if you know, of course, the history of the Ark, this would have been abhorrent as well in the eyes of God. But this is how they used it. And I just want to share this with you. The lowest moment, I believe, for Israel at this time came when Hophni and Phinehas took it into battle and it was captured. Now, right after this, Hophni and Phinehas are going to die. God's going to take their life. Eli, their father, will also die. And at this time, Phineas has a wife. She is pregnant. She goes into labor as the shock of all these deaths um, come to her. She goes into labor. She's going to die in labor, but not before she names her new son that she bore. And she named him Ichabod. And it means this, the glory has departed. And I want to tell you how true that was. The light was gone. And this was a time of great spiritual darkness. And yet, just like always, God, who will never be outdone, has left a remnant. And at this dark time, this woman we're going to study by the name of Hannah stands out as a ray of light and hope for not only Israel, but for us as well. And I want us to be thinking about this as we study her, because what I love about her is we get to meet Hannah There is this stark contrast between the condition of Israel's heart and the condition of Hannah's heart. So let's pay close attention today on how Hannah handles her heart. Because like I said, for me, I want this to be my New Year's resolution. I want to handle my heart the way Hannah did. And God gave us her as an example of what to do with those sadnesses in our life. What to do with those deep longings of our heart. What to do when times are hard and people are not treating you well. What do we do? Hannah gives us an incredible example. And so I want to start today with the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 1. This is just the beginning of Hannah's story, and I'm going to simply read it to us. And I want to pull out this morning three truths that I see within Hannah's situation that I believe will mightily help us. Three ways she handles her heart that will be impactful to us and will help equip us in this new year. So here's what it says. Chapter 1, I'm going to go um, to the end of verse 1. Because we're talking about a man named Elkanah, 
Elkanon, it gives his lineage there. He had two wives, verse 2 says. One was called Hannah, and because she is listed first, we believe she was his first wife. So Elkanah had two wives, one called Hannah, the other Peninnah. Now Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. You can already see Elkanah's great love for his wife, Hannah. And most likely, like I said, she was his first wife. And as we learned during the time of Sarah, there was a custom at this time where if your wife was not producing children for you, you could take another wife. Uh, to bear children with. And so this looks like this may be what happened in this situation, but he loved his first wife, Hannah, and the Lord had closed her womb. Now, verse six says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Peninnah, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Now, this word means mistreated. It means to provoke. She was awful. She was mean to Hannah, and she would do this for the sole purpose of irritating her. Listen to verse 7. This went on year after year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival, Peninnah, would provoke her until she wept and could not eat. Now, this is some serious persecution going on towards Hannah. She would continue at her. She would continue to mistreat her and to hurt her until she reduced Hannah to tears and had made it so that she was no longer even hungry enough to eat something. Now, verse eight says her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downheartened? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Now, I want to tell you something as a woman. I know Elkanah probably meant well here, but even that would have been a burden for Hannah to bear. Of course, she loved her husband, but her the deepest longing of her heart was to have a child. And it was something maybe Elkanah could not understand, but she desperately wanted a child. <clears throat> And not being able to produce one, being mistreated and abused by this other woman day after day after day, year after year. This is why she was downheartened. But now Elkanah is saying, aren't I worth more to you than 10 sons? Cheer up. But she couldn't. I want you to notice something very specific about Hannah. She never offered a harsh word back to either one of them. I want you, I want us to pick up because then we'll pull out these three points. Verse nine says this, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. So this is when they went back for the offering again for the sacrifice. Hannah stood up. Now, Eli, the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house in her deep anguish. Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Now Eli observed her mouth move. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. Now, I got to explain this. In this day and age, when people would pray in the temple, they would come in, tilt their, their head and their eyes toward heaven, and they would begin to pray out loud. 
There was not the custom at that time of bowing your head and closing your eyes and praying in silence with only your lips moving. So Eli thinks she's drunk or that she's crazy. But here is something amazing to me. This woman already understands more about a relationship with our Heavenly Father than the priest Eli did. And it speaks volumes to her relationship with the Lord versus Eli's relationship with the Lord. You see, even at this time, Hannah understood that her words didn't even need to be heard, not by Eli, not by anybody else. She knew that God knew what was in her heart. And so she prayed to him and she poured out her heart, even in silence. And as she's doing that, her lips are moving as her head is most likely bowed and she's praying to herself. And now Eli has to yell out to her because he thinks she's drunk. Listen to what he says to her. How long are you going to stay drunk, woman? Put away your wine. Now, can you imagine how embarrassed she was? She's already in deep anguish. She's already hurting, already being so abused by those around her. And she says, not so, my Lord. Listen to Hannah's response in verse 15. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of the great anguish and grief of my heart. And so Eli, probably maybe hopefully a little bit embarrassed, I don't know, says this, go in peace. And he kind of gives this blanket priestly prayer to her. You got to kind of hear almost the uh, nonchalant, you know, caring of his way here. He says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you whatever it is you've asked of him. So he's not really caring. He's not asking her what's going on, but he kind of blanketly says, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you whatever you have asked of him. Now listen to Hannah's humble reply. She doesn't continue to berate Eli for misjudging her. She humbles herself before him and she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Isn't that amazing to me? Do we we capture Hannah's heart here? She has been hurt and abused and rather than ever lashing out, she remains humble and she says, may your servant find favor in your eyes and listen to how she leaves. Then she went her way. She ate something and her face was no longer downcast. I want to stop right there and just pull out three incredible truths that come from this one passage that's amazing to me in how Hannah handled her heart. First thing that really grabbed me in this account was who she went to. And I want to tell you something. It matters who you take your heart to. It matters who you go to. In times of sadness, in times of longing, it matters who you go to. Who did Hannah go to? I want you to remember back to Sarah. Do you remember? Abraham's wife, Sarah, she had the same heartache as as, um, Hannah And yet she turned to her own self. Do you remember that? She turned to herself to handle it. She decided to come up with a plan and a way to produce an heir for Abraham all on her own. And she told him, take my servant Hagar and sleep with her and have a child. And this will be my child with you. Right. And that didn't turn out too great. Not a great idea on Sarah's behalf. Um, Not smart. So that's what happened when she turned to herself. If you remember Rachel, if you know the story of Rachel and Leah, She turned to her husband and she demanded and complained. This is her exact quotation. Give me children or I'll die. So she took her complaint to her husband. Remember that? And we know that Sarah took her complaint to herself. She tried to handle it. Rachel wanted her husband to do something. But Hannah did something different. Who did Hannah go to? In each of these accounts, no matter who it was and what they were saying to her, Hannah took her heart to God and God alone. She understood 
that she needed to take her heart to her heavenly father, not to her husband in despair or in complaint, not to Eli in petition and begging, not not to even um, Peninnah in order to fight back. Instead, she took it all to the Lord. We have such a tendency sometimes, do we not, to take our complaints to other people as if somehow they can do something on our behalf. And so oftentimes when we go through something hard, we immediately turn to other people. We complain about those who are coming against us. We fight against those who are coming against us. If somebody says a harsh word to us, we'll turn around and say a harsh word back. But oftentimes we think our fight is with people around us. And so we'll complain. We'll complain to our pastors. We'll complain to our leaders. We will complain against those people who are hurting us. We'll complain to our husbands. And I want to tell you, not even our husbands, not even our wives, not even our moms and our dads can fix what's going on in our hearts. None of them have the ability to bring about what it is that we are wanting brought about. But we have this tendency to go to others, forgetting that they are not the ones in control. They cannot change hearts. They cannot heal hearts. They cannot answer our deepest heart's desires. There is only one, and his name is Jesus. He is our God, Yahweh. And Hannah understood this. You see, it matters who we take it to. Only God has the power to work miraculously in our lives. And I want to encourage you with whatever is going on in your heart Whatever's going on in your life, in your situation right now, I want to encourage you take that before the Lord because truly he is the only one who was able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything you could ever ask or ever imagine. The human people in your life most often cannot answer those for you. Take it to the one who can. There is only one. The second thing that's amazing to me, we've seen who she went to. I want you to consider what she brought. Who she went to was her heavenly father. What she brought was her whole heart, her deepest desire, her grief. She brought this with complete honesty before God, not afraid to be completely truthful before him. And we know what the deepest longing of her heart was. It was a child. I wonder what is yours? What's your deepest heart's longing? Is there any sadness or hardship that you're going through right now? Take it with all honesty before the Lord. It says in her deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord. A little bit later, she's trying to explain this to Eli. And she says, I was pouring out my whole soul before the Lord. She brought her whole heart. Friends, I want to encourage you. God can handle our hearts. In fact, he's the only one that can handle our hearts. Who do we take our heart to? God. What do we bring him? Everything. We bring him everything. And what do we do with it? I want us to pay attention to what she did with it. I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline right now, and then I'll explain it because in my family, and as I have shared this with people, this is the line I keep coming back to. What did she do? She heaved it and leaved it. Now, this might not be grammatically correct. I'm not sure, but I want it to stick in our heads. She heaved it and leaved it. Here's what this means. She poured out her whole soul and she left it with the Lord. Let's consider she poured out her heart and soul. I always think of it like this. If we are carrying around a pitcher of burdens that's brimming to the top with the burdens we carry, with the longings we have, we are invited and asked by God Almighty to pour every last drop out before him. Another way to look at this is what Psalms 55, 22 says, or 1 Peter 5, 7, they both say it. Cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. He has invited us to cast all of our cares on him because he cares for us. 
Ladies, gentlemen, friends, we need to come before the throne of God with the pitcher of our burdens, get down on our knees and pour them out before him every last drop. I want to encourage you, do not even get up from your time with the Lord until you have emptied yourself before him, until every last drop is poured out. This is what Hannah did. Here's the definition of casting our cares. I love this. To cast our cares means this, to hurl, to throw, to fling. We are called to cast our cares. And after we do this, after we hurl them at the feet of God and throw them, fling them. This is why I say we heave them. After we do this, like Hannah, we've got to leave them there. I have a new puppy in my house right now, um, a new uh, acquiring that we have, and I've trained a lot of dogs. I've taken them through different obedience schools, and it's been a lot of fun, but one of my favorite things I love to teach our dogs is this word, leave it, because it is so practical. We need that word to be taught um, always when you're talking about dogs, because so often they'll want to go after something. Maybe it's your sock or your shoe or your wallet, and you have to say, leave it. And I use that phrase all the time and I teach it to them. It's one of the first things I teach them is how to leave it. So when they hear me say that, they stop and they walk away. They do not pick it up. I want to tell you something. God wants us to learn how to leave it. Matthew 6, 27 says, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Instead, I want to tell you something. Instead of worrying, we need to press forward and leave it in God's hands. Job 12.10 says, in his hands is the life of everything and the breath of all mankind. I love 1 Chronicles 29.11. It says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth are yours. Yours is the kingdom and you are exalted as head above all. We know it is God that directs our steps and who holds our breath. So it is with him that we must leave the desires and longings of our hearts. This is what Hannah did. She heaved it and leaved it. She cast her cares and left them there. This is what I want us to be considering as this new year rolls on. Would we consider praying and asking God help us to cast our cares and leave them there? Can we cast our cares on the Lord, pour them out every last drop, not to other people around us, but to God Almighty? And can we leave them with him? The burdens of our heart are to be cast, not carried. Did we hear that? They are to be cast, not carried. Now I want you to pay attention how this woman left this encounter with God. She left with her head lifted high. You see, through this process, Hannah was not only changed, but she experienced, she experienced an exchange. God met her and answered her long before he ever gave her a son. And of course, we know that he did. This son became Samuel the first great prophet of God here in this time, but God comforted her heart and he gave her peace. Did you catch this? After she encountered God in this way, after she heaved it and leaved it, she cast her cares and left them there. She, it says, then she went her way and she was able to eat finally. And it said her face was no longer downcast. Her head was lifted high. This is what God wants to do to us. You see, it matters who we take our heart to. It matters that we take it before God. It matters that we pour it all out before him. And it matters that we leave it in his mighty hands. And I know that our, that pitcher of burdens will become filled up again and again. And I want to encourage you every time it's filled up, go take it before him again and take it before him again and take it before him again and leave it there because he will lift up your head. 
He will comfort you. He will give you peace. And of course, we know what happens next. If you know her story, I'm going to encourage you to continue reading it because Hannah was not only a woman of faith. She was a faithful woman. She fulfilled her vow. The Lord was the most important person in her life. She loved the giver even more than the gift. She still trusted God with what she cared most about. She was willing to surrender to him. Uh, to, she was willing to surrender Samuel, her, her son, back to God. Do we trust God with what we care most about? Are we willing to surrender it back to him? Because of that, I want to tell you how she was blessed. God, of course, gives her more kids more children, and Samuel follows God. He becomes one of the most powerful prophets. Of course, he will anoint David. He will deal with the whole madness of Saul. Hannah was so blessed by the heritage and the legacy she left behind. She was able to keep Samuel with her for the first three years of his life. And there is no doubt to me she poured her great faith into that little boy. And he grew up to be a mighty man of God. What an amazing example of godly faith that this woman had to trust God enough to cast our cares on him and leave them there. Heave it and leave it. He can handle it. Lord, we thank you so much that you have invited us to cast all of our cares on you because you care for us. Father, I pray that we would be people who take our hearts to you and you only, that we would pour them all out before you and that we would leave them in your mighty hands. Thank you for the example of this amazing woman. In your name we pray. Amen.